0: If you're good at something, never do it for free.
1: Typhoon, y'all
0: know me, and I'm coming up. Just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up. Just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Hey everyone, so welcome back to, back to Kevin and the Blue Clan, and yes, we are being consistent on this podcast. Uh, Basketball has given us things to talk about. So, who other than to bring on than Andrew Romani? Andrew, welcome back on the podcast.
2: Hey, man, glad to uh, glad to be here with you. Um, I open up the pod. Wanted to open up the podcast by saying this before I um, before like about ten minutes before you you called me to do to kind of record the pod today. I. Um, I was look. I was thinking, and I was like, I think our first NBA podcast was like right after the finals. In my mind, I thought it was three years ago, but I knew like our podcast was right after the finals, like the first one we ever did. I went back and looked. I think it was episode four of you doing this podcast back when it was you and your friend Hey doing like mostly Premier League stuff. And I was just like, when was that? And it was actually it came out. So it was probably recorded like the day before that June 20th, 2018.
1: So you and I, although
2: as you mentioned, not consist consistently necessarily have been podcasting about the NBA for four years. Isn't that crazy? That is because we were talking about yeah, the 2018 finals had just happened. The Warriors swept the Cavaliers. LeBron was about to leave for, for the Lakers, I guess. Um, or was he not? I don't know. Did he go one more year? I don't remember. Uh, I think but, that was,
0: yeah. Yeah. I think, I right. think so. Too. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then like, yeah, that off season, I think like Paul George and Kawhi and stuff like that, whatever. But we were talking about that finals. Uh, and we were talking about the, and the two twenty eighteen 2018 NBA draft was the next day. We talked about Luka Doncic. Uh, I was listening to a little bit of that and, uh, we were both talking about how Luka Doncic should go number one, kicking off a run of. We've had good takes from the beginning and never have had a bad take since. Never, uh, never. Ever. And
1: I, <laughs>
2: and I think we were recording in a in a. I believe we were recording in a like a study room in our law school. Like I guess we'd known each other for about a year at that point, right? Like it was yep, the end of yep. our. Uh, like, we probably – because if it was June, our finals were probably over, and we probably just snuck in to, to do a pod or something like that. Uh, and it was funny. The thing that struck me most was how I was still interrupting a lot, but I was so qua- – like, I was actually way better at podcasting then than I was now. Like, I was <laughs> quiet, attentive, speaking for not 30 seconds at a time. But uh, – so anyway, yeah, four years, and uh, I'm happy we – you know, we were both talking about our excitement to to pod today. Uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity, and I'm I'm glad it's still going. Yeah, I know. Uh, giving you the big platform you deserve, Andrew.
0: So, um, oh, thank obvious, you, buddy. Of course. So obviously, finals just ended. Um, for those of you guys that don't know what happened, the Warriors ended up winning in six against the Boston Celtics, and Andrew, we we made our predictions. I had Warriors in seven. You had Boston in seven. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I felt like the series itself was pretty close. And then it seemed like yeah. Once Game Five happened, did it feel like Boston kind of gave up, or maybe they were just too tired? What was how how do you
2: yeah.
1: read
0: this situation, and what was your assessment like once Game Five happened? Did yeah. you? And 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 maybe you could talk about you fading the fading the Boston pick um,
1: going into yeah I I
2: yes I'd be happy to – you 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 absolutely got where I was going. I mean, for the first, it's hard to kind of like look now that like the Warriors have won and six. I think it's easy to, and and you know there'll be things to take. And I think the Warriors clearly ended up being the better team, but I do think through like through five and a half like through five and a half games. It was looking like the the results had been pretty even, you know, like through 5.5. Like, I think at halftime of game five, like we were texting each other saying what a great series this was. And then Mm -hmm. I think like the second half of game five kind of like all of a sudden everything came together for me. Like, you know the sort of patterns that had emerged in the, because, you know, I'm going to try and do this as concisely as possible. I realize I'm already jumping over the place. Like the Warriors had won game two in sort of this fashion where like in the third quarter, they pulled away and kind of built up this big lead, you know, in game four, the the Celtics had had a lead uh, and kind of like, you know that game four was clearly the pivot. i mean game four or game five you can make the argument for either, but game four kind of involved the warriors making this pivotal you know comeback and 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 winning that game, and then you know in game five uh the you know the Celtics sort of make this great comeback, which is at the point we're texting each other what a great series it is, only for the Warriors to come back and win by like you know however many points they won by like win handily at least. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it was at that point, like, as you said, I had been betting on, uh, I had picked the Celtics 7, and I had been mostly betting on the Celtics just based on the idea that it was going 7, you know what I mean? So, like, based on the way the series had gone, that had basically, you know, involved betting on the Celtics every game. And then, yes, after Game 5, like, something just hit me where I was just like, I, I don't know, man. I think this is kinda over. And and the reasons for it were kind of twofold. One, I think the thing you said about the Celtics just being worn down was completely true. Um, another another thing that's somewhat related to that is that like the Warriors had been consistently finding a different guy. They'd been finding guy guys to You know, their X factors were handily beating the Celtics X factors, meaning, you know, obviously, as well, I'm sure we'll get into more detail about Andrew Wiggins emerged as basically the second best player for the Warriors and possibly was the second best player in the series, uh, possibly with the exception of one Jalen Brown, Um, you know, and they had been, you know, Kevin Looney had great contributions, Gary Payton. The second had great contributions, Um, you know, whereas for the Celtics, it would, you know, save a couple good uh, Derek White games early on in the series. Grant Williams wasn't really contributing. Uh, You know, Al Horford, after a few good games, wasn't really, you know, looked kind of like less effective, especially defensively. Um, Obviously, this isn't quite the next factor. Jason Tatum had basically... Had one good game and just really did not look, especially in these pivotal fourth quarters, like he was ready to carry an offensive scoring load in an in NBA finals. And just like it seemed like the Warriors defense had solved the Celtics offense. Or let me actually rephrase it in a game, in a series where like the question was Warriors offense versus Celtics defense. You know, the uh, on the other side of things, the Warriors' defense was outperforming the Celtics' offense, even where if it had been a wash on the other way, they were having the advantage, and that wasn't even really always holding true, despite the fact that this Warriors' team, like, and, you know, when you want to get into – I'm kind of hinting at – future topics. So I'll try and cut this ran off. Like, even if this was the most limited Warriors team we've ever seen win a finals, especially offensively, you know, it just looked like the battles were being consistent. The battles were being won by the Warriors. So that led to me betting on the Warriors money line in game six which hit and ended up giving me like, you know, probably a small bit of profit. Like, you know, say I was betting $10 on NBA game on, on every game. I ended up like $10 up or something like that. So, so not crazy, but it was kind of one of those, like, it was a, a, it was a series with a lot of interesting things to chew on and with some great moments, some, some great games, but ultimately the Warriors proved to, to be the better team by like, you know, a not insignificant margin.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, like just looking at the games and like the box scores, like Boston didn't break a hundred in, in four of the six games. So like, yeah, I mean, I think it was a bit of their offense, a bit of golden state's defense that kind of contributed to them struggling offensively. And, you know, we can get into the whole Jason Tatum, like, what do you think? Because I've been on Jason Tatum's, like, in, in Jason Tatum's corner since probably forever, um, since he's been a rookie. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was a little disappointed in how he performed. And I maybe we could kind of go there now just in terms of, like.
2: I mean, should we, is it disrespectful to not start with the Warriors okay things, let's go or, yeah 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 let's, no, let's go, go warriors, warriors or, because okay this is stuff we've talked about less as well I think the fact that I picked the Celtics and we've kind of had that back and forth steered our conversations I and I wasn't trying to unrehost re host you but like a thing we kind of haven't talked about together is like this warrior what, like let's start with the overarching first take question just because I don't really know like what is you know let's start with like what is this what are you taking away from the tight this title in terms of the whole of the warriors, you know, whether it's a dynasty, whether it's a run, whether I don't particularly care about the semantics of it. What do you take Like, what did you take away from the Warriors side of things here, both legacy wise and maybe, and maybe just based on the series and the short term as well.
0: I mean, as a whole, the warriors just are a well run organization that, yeah. Is willing to spend a bunch of money, and they spend yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, to continue this run, and it doesn't even like I would say the top stars, um, like the top in town, like Steph, Clay, Draymond, especially Clay and Draymond, aren't what they were before. Yes, and but you know you have these new crop of guys coming up, and especially if they keep. Gary Payton Jr. and he he is older. I think he's like 29. Um Kevon Looney, If they keep those like guys intact, it's going to they're going to be a tough out in the West, for, you know, for years to come, especially if they get anything out of James Wiseman and uh Moses Moody and um Jonathan Kuminga, and Kuminga's kind of looked like he can produce Yeah, he didn't
2: play in the finals. He didn't play in the finals, but he had had some good moments in (laughs) prior series and things of that nature. Like I would pinpoint him as the guy most likely to kind of take the mantle from, say, a Draymond or who, whoever, if they were to kind of continue falling off. But uh, keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah, And, and and just like in terms of like this team doesn't seem like like. I think other championship teams you would kind of wonder, oh, it was like a great it's been a great run and then they would kind of look at the cap situation or the money situation and be like this is not possible to keep this team together just cuz of the luxury tax, but the Warriors yeah. have proven that they're willing to spend 200, 300 million dollars on a team and it doesn't look like you know, Jordan Poole comes up for an extension or for a contract extension this off season. So does Andrew Wiggins who has one year left on a deal. So like these guys are coming up, especially with like clay and Draymond still on the books for big salaries as well. And Steph is there for another, I think he signed there th- for another four years. So they still have a bunch of money on the books, And they still have to pay Poole, Wiggins Looney Peyton Junior. Like they just have a lot of guys to sign, and I wouldn't be surprised if they signed all those guys. So like they just it just seems like they want to continue, um, continue the the run, and it's pretty amazing if you think about it, especially with where the team was, um the you know the two basically seasons out in the desert. Not ma- not really sure whether or not they would ever make it back to, like, the finals. They didn't even make the playoffs the past couple of years. So, yeah, it, it, it's pretty am- amazing when you think about it, especially with, like, coupled with Clay's journey uh, coming back from injury. Um, you know, there are a lot of questions about, like, Draymond and his effectiveness. And, I mean, I still, like, he turned it on for the last couple I of I think
2: he was overall the- f- yeah, I think I think on bat like his low moments were really low, and people were really shitting on him. And I think like he, was, I think like if he, I were to rate the sort of like I think Clay was probably better than Draymond. Like my, you know, you'd rank it like maybe he's even below Looney in terms of all, all, like contributed to the finals win. But he still was pre- Like I'm not exactly ready to put the, and I'm not saying you were either, but. I, I think some people. I'm not quite ready to like put the nail in the coffin on his career. Like I still think he was overall not. And me, no. I think he was overall fine at the very least in 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 the yeah. series. Like especially in Game Six, his he was really he bringing things. you know yeah d- yeah he showed things yeah exactly yeah yeah so.
0: like and and I think this is where I'm curious to see the the next chapter of like the Warriors sure. as a whole because they did this whole reset thing where they were able to get, you know, three lottery picks in Wiseman, Moody and Kuminga. And these are the sure. three guys with Jordan Poole, Who's like, I think 23 or 20, I think he's like 24 or something like that. Um, where those four guys are going to be the next iteration of this Warriors team. And I, I, that's what I'm really curious about to see how that all works out. Um, Especially next year, with Wiseman, you know, going into his third year and all those things, and then like we didn't even get into like ha- what it means for Steph's legacy and yeah, that's exactly. 10, I think like yeah, top ten player, all those
2: types of sure. things,
0: and what does I that wanna, mean? I like
2: w- yeah, yeah, I want to go there, but I just want to <laughs> make the point because I do think you hit on basically everything other than Steph. And I just think you didn't want to go to the obvious point of Steph immediately, but like, you're absolutely right. I think you're out. I think that was a a very great outline of kind of the, the Warriors organizationally. And it's been like, when you look back at the road, it was quite, it's just really interesting. Like they really were on the brink many times, you know, That D'Angelo Russell trade that basically, like, pushed them up against the hard cap and was kind of like, I'm sure if you went back and listened to our podcast about it, it was kind of like, where are they going exactly with this? And that kind of leads to the Wiggins trade, which, you know, was like, I think people sort of got it at the time, but was certainly a question, you know, was certainly like with that doing my best to not be super cliche was certainly a bet on the culture of the Warriors, you know, ability to kind of not necessarily rehab, but like take this kind of okay, but stagnant NBA career and hope to transform it into something that was capable of doing what he ultimately did, which was contribute to, you know, championship-level basketball and championship-level effort. Um, But the, the reason they were able to do all of that and the reason they, you know, have reached the mountaintop yet again is because of the transcendence of Steph Curry. You know what I mean? This yeah. is a, yeah. all time. And be, this is, in t- you know, whatever. I don't really particularly care about, like, going through and listing one through ten because, like, who – I don't know shit about, like, Bill Russell or whatever the fuck. <clears throat> so that I've never been – whenever we've kind of, re- taught like, had these generational arguments, I prefer to plead the fifth. But just, like – Whatever. He's a top 10 player of all time. I don't really care how he gets there. He is. He's probably, he's the second best point guard of all time. And if he wins another championship, he's probably better than Magic Johnson. Like he's probably, you know, we're talking about an all-time great here. Uh, and so like that, that's kind of, the reason you're able to do that. The reason all of that, the you know, you're able to keep striving is because at the core is this, you know, incredible engine of a basketball team and time and time with one you know exception in this series he was basically that every single game this was you know his greatest effort in terms of you know there wasn't so much beautiful game stuff you know there was more isos there was more pick and rolls you know there was you know more having to sort of make things happen and he was up for it you know even in this like so I, I don't really know his age, but in this, like, somewhat latter stage of, of his career. And, like, as long as he's able to keep giving something close to that, you know, you outlined very well the sort of pieces that will be required. Uh, and, you know, they have, you know, they've had the chance. They This was a team that was built by good drafting and, you know, good fringe moves, beginning with, like, the signing of Andre Iguodala, you know. To, you know mm-hmm. the drafting of curry thompson and uh draymond both of whom were like you know clay and uh steph being like guys who went into like five to ten range and then you know draymond green famously being a second pick and you know Poole was a late first rounder as well and you know Camingo seven you know wiseman is kind of the who like the who knows guy you know but it doesn't So, you know what I mean? Like, he's given them the chances. He's given them – the point I'm kind of trying to make is, like, they have capitalized on their chances as well as any team in NBA history as far as I'm concerned. But the reason they keep, you know, having the opportunity to convert those chances is because at the end of the day, Steph's there in the middle of it. You know, Steve Kerr, I think, said it himself, like – I give credit to everyone else, but at the end of the day, it's death. And I think this was, you know, it's not exactly a far-fetched statement to say this, you know, I'm not that interested in going down the sort of like, what did the KD titles mean? What did blah, blah, blah mean? Like, I don't really care about that. And like, I, you know, a title's a title in my eyes for the most part, but this was like the most, like, you know, this was the one that was most illuminating of that, of that core Tennant behind everything. Yeah, yeah. And just to even, like, touch on the KD
0: stuff, like, they won two out of three, I believe, with him there, right?
2: Um, So then mm-hmm. – and,
0: and, like, Curry won
2: one. And before. the one they lost was mo- the one where they were decimated by injuries <clears throat> for the most part. Right, right, right. And Curry won
0: – Curry won one um, without um, Durant before he got there. Then he won one, you know, post-Durant. So it's not like Durant – carried Steph during those like like of course his not. only titles or anything like that so like you know there's all these arguments going out there like who helped you like <laughs> Steph helped uh, Durant did Durant help Steph all these things and like I think what's more interesting to me to kind of talk about is just the way this team was built and like how this, yeah and and not that this can necessarily be a blueprint for a majority of teams, because this Warriors organization just got, like they got incredibly lucky with a lot of the picks that they made, but then there's probably something to it that they've been able to make these decisions consistently well. And obviously Steph is the foundation and kind of makes the engine go and like, all the things, all the actions, all that stuff that are running off of his prowess as the best of shooter of all time. But at the same time, like if you look at what Bob Myers has done in constructing the team, it's just really like. And I think that in a in a larger from a larger standpoint, it kind of. I, I don't know if you have as many like warriors haters if that makes sense like yeah in comparison I agree in co- like in comparison to like the very convoluted way or the very um I don't know like the very um deliberate way of how LeBron constructed his championship winning teams and like like get basically getting all these stars to co- congregate to one team and and make it happen that way it feels somewhat organic other than maybe the KD deal that.
2: <coughs> oh, of course. That happen. was always the blem. That was always the blem. Like in terms of that purity standpoint, like, yes, that was always kind of the blemish and you know what, at the end of the day, like sort of who cares? like, I, I don't see it as really stain yeah, yeah. or anything, and, but you're right. Like, even no, then, you're right. Yeah. Like, they are one of the i was talking about this with a buddy a uh, a friend of ours or you know Doug from from law school because in game 1 he was telling me like he was noting that like the Celtics and the Warriors had both um both had four starters on their team that they drafted and he was kind of asking me to sort of think about the recent history of the NBA and noting how um and noting how sort of what, what would the, how atypical that was. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is true to, you know, in the era of the, the, the super team. And, you know, there have been some other ones like, you know, the Spurs in 14 or, you know, the OKC a couple of years prior to that. Like there have been some, but like the Warriors are like the ultimate homegrown, you know, super team, like, as you said, Mm -hmm. and like that kind of, I think now this title cements that like, that will mostly be their legacy, you know? And who's right. to say what the future, who's to say what the future will hold? Like, you know, you and I, I don't know if you're, I, and I don't want to jump too too far ahead. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to say on just kind of no, the no. legacy stuff? Yeah, one of the other things that I wanted to touch
0: on is like, I think people have to even put the Kevin Durant move in context, is that they got, they were planning for that to happen. So like, even even like convincing him to come and all that stuff, like take it for what you will, but they the organization put themselves in that position in a
2: position to be able to make that signing, yeah,
0: in a, yeah, for them to make that signing instead of it being like, all right, we're <laughs> deliberately creating this cap room to like I don't know, like get three stars to come to a team or two stars yeah. to come to a team and and like basically. Like lopping off a bunch of their, a bunch of their, um, like core championship winning players at the expense of Kevin Durant. And, and like, obviously, you know, the cap spike ended up helping them out, um, of in, course, in facilitating that move. But like, they were able to do that because of their organizational, um, structure and the way. And like, when you look at this team now and like the Warriors as, an institution you kind of can put them up with like I would say the Spurs and like those types of teams that you just think of and they're like oh that's a well-run organization
2: oh 100% like you are making a great case like implicit case that like Bob Myers is probably one of the greatest executives in NBA history right like Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty. Like uh, the point I was kind of making was like I was thinking back to like the Bulls, you know, kind of like the last and whatever the dynasty. I was listening to the Bill so like this will be one of two times I bust out my Bill Simmons impressions. Simmons just being like, "Ah, I don't I don't really think this is a dynasty because, you know, you had the KD years and then like you know, they were out of it for two years and blah, blah. Like, the only dynasty that's ever existed are, are like, the Celtics in his mind or whatever. I don't really care about, about the dynasty thing. But the point I was making was, like, if you compare this to, like, the Bulls sort of run or whatever. And the Warriors aren't there yet. And ter- like, they went to the final six out of the last eight years, one, four, or whatever, you know, as, as opposed to the Bulls, kind of three, uh, the two back-to-backs, but like, all I was thinking about, like, there's only, like, when you think about that Bulls team and like, when you watch the last dance and stuff like that, like you kind of feel like they did it despite like organ, the organizational structure of things. Whereas Mm -hmm. this was a much more harmonious, like as you're getting towards, like this is, was a much, this has proven to be a much more sort of harmonious, um, uh, partnership between talent and, and structure. And like, that's, there's something to be said about, like for those two years, like you, that required a certain, like, and obviously because so much of the wilderness period was driven by injury, you know, they really had no other choice. Like, you always knew at the end of the tunnel Clay was going to come back or like, you know, when Steph broke his hand, he was going to come back. Obviously there was no guarantee that things would be the same, but the point I was making really was like, they didn't c- come apart in that, you know, like the NBA, there haven't really been many teams in modern history who kind con- like, it's normally like you face that period of adversity, like whether it's like the Miami heat win the big three era or, you know, the, the, <laughs> the Spurs even like with the Kawhi stuff or like LeBron and Cleveland and like kind of that coming apart and then coming together and then coming apart again. Uh, like that, you know, normally you kind of hit that rough period and things kind of go off the rails. And I think it is a credit to what you outline there that they've been able to come back and do this. Right, right. And now to kind of,
0: and just to kind of bow to that and then you can go on to, to your next point is like, that just points to what, I think that just points to Clay's like, or not Clay, Steph's greatness in terms of like him being this type of superstar that doesn't need like all this attention. Like he enjoys it, obviously, but he does. It's not (laughs) like he was like hitting the panic button and saying like, "Oh my gosh, like I need to get out of here" or like I need to demand a trade. Where I think countless number of stars would feel that pressure to be able to go do that and yeah i i just think it points to steps greatness and and it's that symbiotic relationship between star player and class organization that really ended up propelling this um propelling this team to greater and greater heights so like i think like just to tie a bow to it like it it just really points to like Steph's greatness and then the Warriors greatness and how that plays off of each other.
2: Yeah, no, a hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agreed. Um, you know, and I, now I feel bad. Like I don't want to spend too much time on the Warriors thing. I do think like just a quick shout out. and like, you know, I, I do think we sort of didn't give enough. We didn't have that loan are just like an OMG, this Wiggins transfer Like I alluded to it, but like, The fact that he, like, he became a rebound, like, even the fact, like, I just think it's, it like a microcosm of like, and it can tie into all this, but like a microcosm of Wiggins is sort of like ascendance and like, you know, whether what he is going forward versus like what he just happened to do in this series is kind of an interesting question that can maybe tie into the next point I would make. But like the fact that he went over like 15 rebounds multiple times in this series, like, When Whereas, like, on the Timberwolves, he was kind of known for being a guy who scored and did nothing else is just Mm. such a fantastic sort of illustration of both his growth under the Warriors culture and a testament to, like, you know, like you've said, like, what you said about Steph, like, despite him being an incredible scorer, like, he kind of has this utilitarian quality about it, meaning, like, utilitarian meaning, like, sort of, and that's the style they play also, like, Utilitarian meaning like the distribution of the most amount of happiness to the most people. You know what I mean? Agreed. Like the yeah, truly yeah, really yeah. sort of team oriented, uh, team oriented vibe to them. And that's why the KD thing always was so, you know, not to keep bringing that up, but I think that that is why the KD thing was always so disappointing to so many people because it became seen as. I, which I think is unfair to the kind of player KD is, because I don't think he's a completely selfish player by any stretch of the imagination, but it was seen as this disruption of what they, what they had, um, what they had kind of built in that respect. But um, yeah. So, but the point, the, the question I wanted to ask you real quick was like on the night, you know, it was game six. I had had a few drinks, you know, we were in the exact moment after, but I kind of, I pose this hypothetical to you of like, if I give you even odds that the Warriors will win another championship, would you take it? And you said no. And I, my initial thought was no too. Like, has your opinion shifted on that? And the, le- like, how do you, ass- it seemed like you, I, and I agree with you. It seems like we will see this Warriors team as a force going forward, but given that, like they very well might be, you know, the favorites to come out of the West next year, but at the same, by the same token, when you look at sort of this NBA year, a year where you know the Clippers were, you know, Kawhi Leonard was hurt the entire year, uh, Chris Middleton got hurt during the playoffs, kind of crippling the Bucks a little bit. Um, we all know what else happened in the in the in the East. You know, the the Suns making a surprising dip out in the second round. Like, do we make of it? Like, was this kind of their? Be- do we kind of see this as like a good team, a good to great team with a transcendent player that sees their opportunity as a result of the things we all we just said, or do we see this sort of being something that can you know go forward into the future and lead to another title or what have you?
0: yeah, yeah, and I think that poses really interesting you know, things about competition in the NBA and where competitive balances and all that. Sure. Of, stuff. of course. Definitely um, more parity. Yeah. A lot more parity. but I just think like, I, I feel like my opinion hasn't changed necessarily. Like if you put the line at like 0.5, uh, warriors titles in the next like five years or so, I'd probably still go under, um, Mm -hmm. And, and, and that just kind of illustrates competitive balance, number one. And then number two, it's just really freaking hard to win in the NBA. Like, and Mm. I, and I, and the reason why I say that is because everything has to go correctly. Like, I think if, like, I think a lot of people are kind of posing this question and wondering, like, if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt in that Boston series, or like, played in that Boston series and didn't get hurt beforehand. Like are the bucks in the finals? And then, and I, like I tend to agree that the bucks probably would have made the finals. And like, I might've been choosing them to win the finals this year again. And it's just like all these things have to come together for, you know, for all. And like, that's where injury luck plays a role in things. Um, and, and there were like a couple things that where you look at them, Raymond, Clay, and Steph, they're getting older. Steph's 34. Clay and of Raymond, I believe, are 32. And like, it's not like it, there's to kind of use what you were saying before about sh- uh, like Curry's ability to get his teammates involved and have like him being that you uh you i I don't know what utilitarian utilitarian star like all these other guys are gonna have to step up in terms of that that extended core and that um the young guys that are gonna have to step up like pool like Wiseman like Moody like Kuminga like all those guys are going to have to start taking a bigger share of of the role in order for this team to continue to succeed so like I think with all that like I think it leads to a couple of interesting things that maybe I kind of want to uh point back towards you or like give to you to kind of ponder about is like I mentioned competitive balance thinking yep. kind of going into next year and, 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 you know, we can kind of delve into like all the different maybe contenders that we think.
2: Yeah. I literally just pulled up. Yeah. I just pulled up the futures for next year, but finish your question. Cause I think you're going to, you're going to bring me right there. So.
0: Right. Like, who do you think it like has a realistic shot? And like, also it's it like, in my mind, like I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head, in the East, it seems like there's, you know, Boston, Milwaukee, who knows yep. what happens with the Nets, and, and Philly. Are They're pretty much in – I feel like both of them are kind of, like, in flux slash, like, in similar types of situations. Maybe Philly's situation's a little bit more favorable. And then, like, Miami's still there. Like, and then yep. on the West, you have the Warriors, obviously. Then the Suns, who kind of infamously fam- flamed out. The Nuggets have Murray and Porter, Porter Jr. coming back. Um, so they, they're, they're And then like the Lakers with whatever, you know, I don't know, maybe LeBron and AD are just kind of washed at not, I wouldn't say they're washed, but it's just like, they need more. It's hard to, to put them to... in that.
2: Tier. Yeah. It's hard to put them in that tier one after, you know, after what we've seen the past couple of years. Right, so basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically what I'm saying is like
0: like, you know, I do you feel like the Warriors get back? Do you feel like Boston gets back to this to this place because even, it even seems like in the East it's a lot tougher than what maybe the Warriors have to deal with in the West. So like, you know,
2: just take yeah. it with
0: take it wherever you want to go with that question.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I I just because I was looking up, I was interested to see what Vegas odds. It's way too early. Vegas futures odds had to say for for next year, and they this is I'll read off the top six uh, top six contenders in their eyes. They have the Clippers at plus six hundred, six to mm. one. The Warriors at six to one. The Celtics at six to one. They still have the Nets at 650, which is kind of interesting. And I don't think we're going to even have time to do a continuation of the Kyrie saga today. But to me, that means that Vegas believes Kyrie will probably come. They agree with us that the Kyrie drama is overblown and that the most likely outcome is him coming back. Bucks at plus 800, Suns at plus 900. And then you kind of have a pool of teams like the Sixers, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Mavs, Heat, and Lakers. So, -hmm. you know, like – I mean, I, like, it's kind of a thing of, like, yeah, like, ironically, well, I definitely feel better about the Warriors going into next year than I did starting this year, where I was a little bit more of a skeptic. Like, I kind of feel like the, the same, like, I kind of feel like not that much has changed, whereas I, like, I see... I see, like, and the Clippers will be the wild card, certainly. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm ready to say they're coming back and they're immediately finals contenders, just because that team hasn't really proven anything yet in that way. Like, agreed. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm pondering a little bit too much and should make a point, but like, I still really like the Bucs, and I now like the Celtics. I kind of see them as one A and one B in that conference. And I think I see you know the Warriors, Suns, and Clips being sort of top one A, one B, one C, and that kind con- like around the within striking distance of each other. To be honest with you, mm. I guess some of That'll depend on what the the Suns have questions as well with a and and, and what have you. So like you know I think we are in this time of pe- and that's there are plenty of teams below that that I think are worth a flyer as well. Memphis could certainly emerge at like Memphis could certainly make the leap next year, and it's like. They kind of have their OKC. Okay, we make it to the fun. Fi- like here we are, and we make it to the finals. Here, that's certainly possible. I think the thing I would say though, is, like with all of these teams at the top, like it, you, you know, with all these teams at the top, like you want to have like in this time of sort of where there's more parity than usual, and I I find it somewhat exciting. Uh, you know, like it. This you know. There's been, you know, after all these years of, like, kind of NBA transactions being king, you know, and who knows what the next disgruntled superstar will be, this does look like the first period in a while where it's like, all right, the landscape is, like, 90% set, and it's time to just see who who kind of emerges from the pack. And the one point I would make to tie back to something you said before, like, why I think the Warriors might be a good bet is, like, they have now – as when you look at, like, paths back, sort of, like, the Warriors have, like, way more... Like, I'm thinking of a team like the Nets, where, like, kind of, like, one thing went wrong and everything fell apart. The Warriors are at least, you're now in a position where, like, if you they came back next year and Draymond was shot or Clay was shot, they wouldn't be dead in the water because they have these guys like Poole. They have these guys like Kaminga. And it doesn't necessarily take all of them hitting to sort of get you back there it does take Steph continuing to be at at the level of what he is and staying healthy but you know at the very least they have uh they they seem to have a lot of optionality and I think they're a, a pretty good bet for that reason you know I think this what like like so I see this this championship sort of as a as a kind of intersection between like their actual talent the culture and then like to some extent luck, but luck always factors into every, every NBA championship. So that was sort of like my non-answer, non-answer. What do you make of all of that?
1: Yeah.
0: I, I think one, one place I want to steer you towards is maybe towards like Boston's outlook for the future. Because...
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's go for, let's, let's go there. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I think we've taught, I mean, we've talked enough about the Warriors obviously and congrats yeah. to them, but like, Boston's an interesting where yeah. with where they are because they're I would say you know they have a relatively young core Tatum's twenty three or twenty four and twenty four I believe 20, yeah yeah Brown is twenty five Smart is mm-hmm. twenty eight like they have young guys on this team like Horford's and then Robert Williams is a young guy Horford's the only piece they kind of he's like thirty six and they, they're they going to have to end up replacing sooner rather than later. But yeah, I'm curious to see how this grows from this experience. And like, is it like, um, especially for Tatum, is it one of those things where he's shell shocked by the experience or is he going to be able to grow and learn from it? Because, you know, we'll get into the whole Tatum thing right now, might as well. He did not look great in, like, a decent portion of this series. So, and
2: and even the yeah. one
0: game, like, the one game he scored 12 points in, they ended up winning. So, like, yeah. in game one. And that was just, like, <clears throat> and then all the other games he, like, kind of averaged his 27-ish points and had eight boards, seven seven assists, things like that. Like, across, stats across the board didn't look Bad counting stats wise, but like once you dug into like percentages and things like yeah, that, correct. he
2: really start like he was not as effective as he and he wasn't was. making any what yeah and and uh he wasn't making the difficult shots that are kind of required for him to reach that truly superstar level like uh, just you know whereas in the Miami series there were those moments where he seemed unstoppable. In this, you know, there were way more stretches in this game where you're kind of like, "Where is he?" Or like, "Ooh, he's really not making any of these sort of fadeaways." Or like, "Ooh, he's missing free throws." Or "Ooh, he's missed four threes in a row." Like, you know, those kind of moments. Um, there were more stretches where I was feeling like that, and stretches where I was like, "Wow, this guy's really rising to the moment." Uh, and then, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, uh, no, I yeah. agree go with ahead, go that, ahead. No, I'm just no, trying I to see that. like what. Yeah, what's your level like? What what's your sort of as the resident Tatum fan here? Like what's your, like, where are you put, like, how are you balancing the sort of, it was his first finals. It was this Boston steam first finals, because something I have been thinking about a lot is like, I do think it was because the Celtics had a really, really good chance to win this series. And we kind of talked about this pre-series and maybe underestimated it, not even like the experience versus whatever, but like, most teams don't win the first time they get to the finals. You know what I mean? There has historically been this, you take your lumps and then you come back and you win. So I think it's not completely fair because this team was further along and showed such great talent throughout the, you know, over the course of the season and in some of the playoffs, although, you know, they were one Jimmy Butler three. And that was the funny thing Simmons was doing. Simmons was like, Were they actually worse off? Like, wouldn't it would it have been better if the Butler three had gone in? And I he recorded that the night of the the game six, so I'm sure he was just his feelings were hurt. But like, no, of course that's not the case. And of course, I think this should be a good experience on the whole. So, how how do you kind of balance all that in your head, retate them, and then maybe we can get to the rest of the team?
0: Yeah, I listened to that podcast too with Simmons and. He was, I mean, I think he ultimately landed on, like, it was a good experience, but, yeah. like, it was a good experience. Like, you don't ever want to be like, yeah, like, let's avoid let's avoid the NBA Finals so there's no scar tissue for these yeah, guys exactly. to improve on. Like, like that's what drives a lot of these athletes to get better. And, and you know, you kind of saw that with MJ in The Last Dance and all that stuff um, pre, like, uh, both three-peats. So I just feel like Tatum will learn obviously from the experiences, but the I think the hard thing for people to reconcile with this playoff run from Tatum, especially in the finals, and maybe people and I think people were wondering whether or not he was hurt or
2: tired and all that stuff is yeah sure, and I'm sure it was like mixed up, like like everyone it <clears throat> like everyone was at the end no, of that no. series yeah. Uh,
0: one one of the like the point I wanted to make though was like I think a lot of people thought they that he reached that like in round yeah. two against yeah. the Bucks like I think a lot of people yeah. were just like oh my gosh Tatum is here like he scored forty something points in the in, yep. in that like in that game and he was making ridiculous shot after ridiculous shot yeah. Um, like just, I think we're texting back and forth in Game Six yeah, of that 100%, series,
2: and we're just like, like the shot making is
0: incredible. Shot making yeah. was incredible in that series, and then we're like, okay, Tatum's here, and then he kind yeah. of like tailed off. And maybe it's a yeah. conditioning thing. Maybe it's one of those things where he just has to get stronger and um and like really be able to, I don't know, last throughout the playoff run. Um and and I think like the amount of minutes that he ended up playing it probably accumulated uh, for him because he didn't get much of a break um, in that finals. I just think like he's going to be able to improve and grow, and like he's twenty four. Like it's I if you think about LeBron and how he ended, and I'm not comparing Tatum to LeBron, but just the way like LeBron and Jordan and the way like how long it took them to get to their first finals and, and yeah. like act and, and perform well. Um, and, and it's, you know, like, he's, LeBron had, had his like runs of like terrible series to kind of get knocked out of the playoffs. So I'm not too worried about Tatum moving forward. Honestly, I'm just like, I'm just like, Oh, they had their first, taste of finals play and we'll see what ends up happening in the future.
1: I think the far yeah. more
0: interesting I think the far more interesting question in terms of zooming out is like where does the Celtics what does the Celtics team look like in terms yeah. of what do they add to this team and how do they add it um to propel them to go forward. It seems like I, I don't really know what the move is. That's the thing. I I don't know yeah. like what yeah. like I know what they should add, but I don't know how they go about getting there to add that piece. They t- I, I know like listening to a bunch of different things and reading a bunch of different things. They have like an eighteen million dollar trade exception that they could possibly like absorb a contract and do all of those things to maybe add like this sixth man type of player and mm-hmm. it you know, they're throwing around Norm Powell's name, throwing around a bunch of different names like that they could possibly get to be that seventh man, maybe right behind um Tatum and Brown just to spell Tatum some some minutes on the wing.
1: I think that's yeah.
0: probably the move that they would have to go for. A guy that can play with Tatum and Brown. Um, kind of like in that Grant Williams basically
2: Grant Williams, but someone that can show up during But the someone fight. who can or can make plays, like who can actually right. make plays, you know. And that's not to disrespect Grant Williams completely. like Grant Williams was like a role player who was like overperforming for a time, basically. <laughs> that's that's what yep. Grant Williams is basically and I think me and you kind of were talking about that as the as the series reached its conclusion like for you know the Warriors not being like necessarily the deepest team of all time but like you know they could pull out a guy like Otto Porter for a few minutes or you know like a guy like you know Poole or or GP could come in there and and play some solid minutes and I, I think the I think you're basically right on target where it's like the ideal is like third wing who can also maybe handle the ball a little bit at times. Um, And you're right. Like, I, I don't really know, have any idea how they can get there. Uh, And, you know, there are other question marks, like, you know, sometimes it's easy to sit like, you know, to sort of play devil's advocate. Occasionally, I think it's also too easy to fall into the, like, the window will be open forever. Thought as well, and, sure. and you know it yeah. won't be like Rob Williams, who is a you know was one of their best like was you know at times their best player, you know during the finals, you know, like his health going forward is certainly a question, and it's hard to envision them reaching the heights they want to reach without him being healthy, you know, like Al Horford still has years left, and like you know will his what will his role be going forward? You know, these are, these are, you know, questions like Derek white is now sort of like set in stone there. And I think Derek white, like I think the Derek white trade, like was certainly a, a, a good move over like, you know, the fact that they even made the finals and his contributions to getting there are make that trade pretty much worthwhile. Um, you know, so I'm just trying to point out, you know, the, the sort of, you know, that there are lingering questions, but simultaneously, like Brown and and Tatum are still relatively young, as you said, and like real quick, not to take it off and move it back towards Tatum. I'll steer it back, but like on Tatum, you know, his career thus far. And like, I think he's been one of the more like discussed players on this podcast overall, just from the standpoint of like, he's someone who like we've gotten to sort of witness the career arc of in totality. You know what I mean? Like, I've only Mm -hmm. been really watching the NBA hardcore since like oh nine or so. So that's still 13 years, but like truly seeing the whole arc of a career only starts with players who were drafted for me in like, you know, 11 through 14 or whatever. And it's kind of been characterized by these fits and starts. You know what I mean? Like it's kind Mm -hmm. of always felt like he makes a leap. He plateaus. He makes a leap. he He plateaus. He makes a leap. He plateaus. So You know, who's to say that 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 won't happen? And who's to say that a guy like Brown, like I love Brown. So I think that's kind of been our dynamic when we talk about this team over the years. Not that I think Brown's better than Tatum, but I've just always really enjoyed watching Brown play and gravitate towards him like and he certainly showed things throughout this playoffs but he also is prone to like you know trying to make a play and turning the ball over like turnovers were a gigantic reason why the celtics ended up falling short in the series and you know maybe he can improve as a playmaker and become a player who's actually capable of you know spelling tatum a little bit more you know in those moments and stuff like that and another thing i just wanted to point out was like remember they kind of tried to like and point guard could be a player, uh, a position where a guy emerges. Like they kind of tried to have that guy in Kemba Walker and it just didn't work out. You know what I mean? So um, Mm -hmm. like, I think there are, you know, iterations of this team that could work. And like, the good thing is like they've their identity seems fairly sound going forward. Right. They are going to be so long as they have a good, a certain measure of health an elite defensive team. Uh, and a good offensive team that, you know, strives to be great. Like, and that yeah. should be, you know, that should be enough to kind of at least cement, cement them in that, in that, uh, in that one, a tier of the East going forward. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, in the off season, like how this team sort of recollects itself and mm-hmm. what, you know, moves on the fringes happen this off season. Totally
0: agree. And I, I mean, It's just kind of funny because you think back and I, you know, not to be like, I I think this is probably the only time Daniel Tice is going to ever be brought up like post (laughs) like finals podcast because he didn't get any minutes. But like, I was making this point to you of like, they traded back, you know, they traded for Daniel Tice to get him back for Cantor, uh, Schroeder, and then, I forget who the last piece in that in that deal was, but like the like not that Cantor and Schroeder like would have done like anything in this series and maybe they needed to get rid of those guys for other purposes, like locker room, stuff like that, hierarchy and what that meant.
1: True, but like, like one
2: thing we've neglected yeah, like uh, one thing that we've neglected was like the Celtics also started really, really badly in the, this year also and really only came into their own in that kind of mm-hmm. final third of the season. Right. Yeah it, it's oh, just like former by was, the way former Turp Bruno Fernando was the third player in that deal. Right. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> How could I forget forget him, uh especially with uh you being the the ter- resident terp here. But like I it like could they have gotten something like better or something different other yeah, than Daniel I you for mean. those guys? that could have maybe been just like another dude to throw out there in the, in the finals. Like, I think that's like maybe one question. And the irony of all of this is like Boston had the two guys that they, that would have probably been perfect for um, like point guard slash wing player that can kind of supplement what Jalen Brown and Tatum did, but it just like didn't, work out because of I don't know like hierarchy reasons money reasons um like the lack of sticking through resolve um in comparison to what Curry and the Warriors did like they had Gordon Hayward and Mm -hmm. Kyrie Irving back you know a couple years ago with this with this nucleus of a team and it just didn't work out so like could you imagine if they had, I mean, like maybe they're not where they were at because Kyrie, because Kyrie's what, what you, you know, whatever you want to say about Kyrie, like Kyrie's Kyrie. And then Gordon Hayward went through his injury troubles, but like those two guys, if you think about it in a theoretical world would make perfect sense for this team. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So like that's, I think that's where it's just like, oh, it's like very interesting where like now that they have this nucleus and this core, what they're actually chasing for is what they had before, but just in two, like in different forms of a, of a player.
1: So yeah, I'm, that's I'm just true. To, that's true.
0: Yeah.
2: So I'm just that's kind of true, but I think by the same, go. no, yeah, I think that's true. But by the same point, like by sort of that on the flip side of that, like, The Celtics, I feel like we'd always thought of them sort of over the years as like this team that needed to, like, you know what I mean? There was that whole saga where they're kind of, building up assets and it was the thought that they were going to kind of cash in for a guy like will they be the destination for the next disgruntled superstar you know anthony davis back in the day or like paul george or whoever like you know something like that they kind of made the Kyrie swing it didn't really work out but i think if you are a boston fan you have to be as like there's always these questions linger for almost every single NBA team, right? Like for the most Mm -hmm. part, the being one guy away thing, you and I as fans of our respective teams are no stranger to this idea, but at the very least they can hang their hat on sort of reaching this level where it seems like, you know, I don't think they need a third all-star to, you know, make the finals again, at least in this current, parody sort of landscape that, that the NBA seems to have itself in. So at the very least, they've kind of established this good foundation to to work, to, to, to move forward on, and it seems like there are a number of paths to success. And that's kind of just what you want, to hang around and be there, hope you get another opportunity, and, you know, hopefully next time cash in on it. But to some extent, it can occasionally be as simple as that in the NBA, I feel.
0: Yeah, and and before we move on to draft coverage, because we're definitely getting long on the finals talk and like what the implications mean. I can't for the believe Celtics we're going long. We never yeah. go long. No, I know it just never happens, Andrew. I I can't believe it. But the one point that I did want to make is like, like this idea of like being one player short, right? For like all these yeah. teams. It just feels like you're one player short until you're not one player short, if that makes sense. Like, sure. I I think a lot of people even thought maybe this Warriors
2: team was like one player short. I was about to say that if they lost, we'd be having this conversation about them totally. We'd be saying, you know, did they need a guy that, like, who brought did they need a guy who brought more defense than pool or, you know, did they need another way? Like, you know, did they need another big man? Exactly. Like this, this conversation, did they need someone to kind of, you know, uh, you know, replace Draymond in the, you know, whatever have you, did they need another, you know, we'd probably be also saying it's like, did they need another like two way player you know, we'd be probably saying something like that. A guy who could shoot and defend because it doesn't seem like this team had anyone who could do either, but they won. And, you know, so therefore you don't have to really ask any
0: of those
1: questions. Right. Yeah. So like,
0: and when you think about like all the teams that had fall, fallen short, like you look at Boston, and you're like, Oh, they could have used another wing and another point guard, but like, this is where, like, when you look at these championship-caliber teams like Milwaukee last year, they just had a lot more avenues to, like, yeah. um, to to success. And I think that points to your theory of, like, just kind of, like, getting these role players that some might hit, some might not hit on a particular day or particular night, but, like, having that depth to just kind of throw out there and be like, Oh, Otto Porter doesn't have it tonight. So we're going to go to Gary P and junior, like having those types of options and that flexibility um, really helps a lot of these teams. When you get in trouble, you get in trouble. Like when you get in trouble, where you get in trouble is when you're relying on a guy like a role player, like Grant Williams to have success. And then you can't pivot to like someone like Aaron Smith because he's not playable in the front. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. probably where it gets super interesting in terms of like development, like roster development and how that all plays into things. So yeah, it, it brings up a lot more questions, but I think this is a good natural progression to like, how do we find those pieces moving forward? And what else? You know, we have the draft this Thursday, so like it yep. really and and it, it just kind of shows the NBA never it doesn't stop at this point. No, like, it doesn't. It feels stop. like there's no off season. Just capture like capturing the uh, the attention of everyone, even during the off season. So, Andrew, like as we kind of move on to like maybe hour 20 minutes of draft coverage and you know because we're such seasoned veterans like who've who have been high on Luca I like Tyrese Halliburton and everyone likes him <laughs> so like who like as we're like kind of I guess like well I want to Oswald... set it up
2: could I because I think ahead. I have a good way to set it up I have a good way to set it up this year does not seem like a big free agent year right Like you kind of look, uh, you kind of look up and down the list. Like I really quick picked up a list of the top free agents. Harden probably will work something out with the Sixers. Russell Westbrook, uh, I think he's going to opt into his forty-one million. Bradley Beal, like you know, some talk, but but you know you think they'll something will be worked out. Kyrie Irving put a pin in it, you know, something could go haywire, but, you know, maybe he probably works stuff out with the Nets. And, you know, there's always one thing that happens in the NBA off season that we don't see coming and that'll happen eventually. And, you know, we'll just talk about that, but whatever. And then the next year, guys, you know, there's not the Gar- Gary Harris, Zach Levine, Thaddeus Young, Nurkic, you know, TJ Warren, Lynn, And, like, there isn't really a lot of cap space throughout the year, right? So it seems like this year, as much as ever, avenues to improvement lie through the draft. Uh, Be that through trades or be that through, you know, picking guys. Um, I mean, let's start – we can get into kind of the trade stuff later on. I'm just – because the place we always have, like, at least solid opinions on is at the top of things. And this year, in case you're, like, a non NBA fan who's listening to this for some reason and doesn't know that much about the draft. Like there's kind of this top class of guys, Jabari Smith out of Auburn, Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga and Paolo Boncaro out of Duke. And the top three picks are as follows the magic, the thunder and the rockets. Um, it seems, you know, like it's, it seems like we've always gone into these draft talks, like going back to our 2018 talk. We're, although we were talking about who the Kings should take at number two uh, in that in that little snippet I was listening to, which is kind of interesting, but like it seems as if the Magic are rolling with Smith at number one. It seems like the most likely you know uh, thing, the most likely picks that follow are Holmgren to OG- OKC, Boncaro to the Rockets, and then probably Jaden Ivey to the Kings. Although there's some talk of them making a move you know, as mm-hmm. you would expect with the Sacramento Kings,
1: we got to make <laughs> yep. the
2: playoffs. We traded, we're all in Don, uh, Don DeMontis Sabonis We're you know, full steam ahead. But uh would you take uh you've talked highly, like in our little discussions, you seem to have talked highly about, about Smith. Would you be going with Smith? Number one, were you the magic? Like who's your favorite prospect of that top three?
0: You know, and and I think these are like the overarching themes that I wanted to get to because, like, I think these three guys, while they play similar positions, I would say on the court, they're all you know four you know power forwards and maybe like five men if you really want to like think about it. It they all highlight different skill sets, and yeah, I think it's really that's interesting. What, that's what makes it interesting to kind of see which of these NBA evaluators NBA evaluators slash NBA draft experts who they really like the best and what they value
2: the most. Yeah, no, I agree. And just to, just to, before you go into it, I just wanted to say like, whenever we look, we've done these draft things like there are always the kind of the clump of guys on the top. And there's usually one guy I'm like, eh, I don't really like them, like a Bagley or someone like that. These three are all really fun in their own way. Like, that was why I was so gung-ho about the idea that the Blazers could move up. Because all three Mm -hmm. of these guys, although it's a weaker class than usual, and, like, I don't really want to bother having the conversation of, like, are any of these guys going to be transcendent superstars? Because, you know there aren't that many transcendent superstars in the NBA, like whatever, if it happens, it happens. But, um, you know, they all present interesting avenues and, you know, different styles as, as you said. So with that, keep going, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to echo my sort of excitement about that idea as well.
0: Yeah. And I, I just think it, it shows like what, what, team's value and what nba evaluators value and the reason why and i still like smith i think smith to me demonstrates what the new nba is all about he's a 610 dude that can and and it's going to read like me just reading off his draft profile on no that's um, fine it's okay not everyone knows yeah, but he's like a six ten forward, and he can shoot the three really well. He, I think he shot over forty percent from three in college, and like he has some defensive versatility in that he. It feels like he's like on the on the court. If he was in the finals, it's not. It doesn't feel like he, they would run him through action after action because he's that deficient defensively. Like it feels like he can still hang um, in his defensive matchups to the point where they're not going to zero in on him um, and really kind of isolate what he does on the defensive end. And it feels like he can, he can kind of make things work. And yeah, I think, and I think that's kind of brings me to like the new NBA, just like, versatility defensively and the ability to shoot that's sure those two things are like the two skills it feels like a lot of the new nba is really moving towards and to me it feels like it's between if i had to like choose and who like what I was having a tough choice between it was probably him and Chet Holmgren just because of Interesting
1: Holmgren's,
0: Holmgren's defensive versatility. But I, I, I would like Bancaro too. Like if I was at three. So what don't, Bancaro. yeah. So why
2: is Bancaro three for you? Because ironically, this is the year of disagreement, which is fun. Uh, but mm-hmm. like, and also like, I will give the caveat that like, not ni- like, as you said, neither of us are like, neither of us are like watching film on these guys and stuff. We kind of got, we both follow college casually to, you know, slightly more than casually and have watched these guys. We both kind of have our ideas about NBA philosophy. We both take in whatever podcasts and mocks we take in. And, you know, at least I'll say I'm certainly susceptible to like recency bias. The last thing I read because I've actually come to be the most excited about Boncaro. So um. Why? Why is he three? Why? Why Holmgren over Boncaro in your eyes? Just out of curiosity, I think, I think Holmgren's
0: defensive versatility and has more of a higher upside than maybe what Bancaro can do offensively. And yeah, like I think I think the way that Holmgren can fit on a team is he's like that kind of glue pl- glue guy slash plug and play guy that he can kind of fill in the gaps for guys that might not have it defensively. Whereas I think with Caro, like, and I'm kind of just going off, like he looked amazing offensively for Duke whenever sure. I saw it's, him play, yeah. But, it, yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like he, he could stretch the floor a little bit, but it was like, he shot 30 something percent from three off of like three three pointers a game so he was making basically one he was making one a game basically so like like the percentages aren't great on the three pointer and if he can extend that range that would be like extremely important to what he can do offensively just because he has the ability to drive with the ball in his hands and beat people off the bounce like, more so than uh, Smith um, and Holmgren can. So, like, he has that maybe one-on-one ability, but I'm not exactly sure. Like, let's say if you're a high-end, like, let's say if you're, like, a team that has those championship aspirations, is he going to be maybe that, like, could he be that secondary creator slash scorer? Maybe, but I, I feel like, Bank, um, I feel like Holmgren can kind of be the centerpiece to a defense in comparison sure. to what, in in comparison to what Bancaro can do Although, um,
2: offensively, yeah. but, Although but it's, yeah, go into yeah. what you go ahead, what you like. Yeah. About let's Bankero. stick with, yeah, let's stick with the Bancaro uh, Smith dichotomy real quick and then we can move into Holmgren because I don't want to pick one too far all over the place. That was mostly just uh, trying to keep myself off track rather than anything to you. But like Mm -hmm. the thing I, the thing that like evaluators are saying about Smith, that scares me a little bit is like this, this idea that offensively, while he's really good at the things he does, like he's very good at perimeter shooting, which as you said, incredible skill to have in the NBA you know, uh, and defensive versatility, like, which gives him a very good floor. I think that has been like, you know, the idea is that he is kind of the safest pick of those top three guys, but simultaneously Mm -hmm. I haven't heard anything. And based on what I'm reading, like I haven't really read anything. Like I haven't, like, there's this idea that he has upside, has offensive upside where like his game could expand and like he could eventually become that sort of, and great NBA offensive player who draws two or whatever. It seems like Bancaro is the one who's more likely to to end up. Ha- the point I'm trying to make is like Smith strikes me as an incredible complementary piece, like a like could be a really really good number 2 on an NBA team offensively, whereas hmm. Bancaro has the skill set like because he seems to possess such, you know, great you know he was really really good from the mid-range mid, mid range. he's really really good adept and by the way the way i'm talking about him you maybe think he's a guard but he's really like like you said he's a power forward but you know already possesses that incredible skill at driving to the at driving to the hoop and you know uh playmaking being in transition what what have you um that and it's not like he's a simmons like you're not necessarily here like yes you're right he didn't shoot that much from three at Duke, but like Duke's offensive systems have always been sort of odd in that way. Anyway, where like, they always seem to be a really great team that lacks three point shooting that I'm not as worried about it. So, you know, all that's mm-hmm. that to say is like, I sort of, when I look at the overall package, I get a little bit more excited about Bancaro because I see more, you know, I see that offensive upside mixed with like a really great sort of starting set of skills. And and I find that to be a little bit more enticing than Smith, who seems like more ready to plug and play, but perhaps has less of that chance of really block. Like I said, you know that guy who can like draw two, you know, offensively and stuff like that. Like you know, if if you know, like even if like even if like Jabari Smith can be like a bigger. Clay Thompson, you know, type in the NBA, obviously that's insanely valuable, but it's not necessarily like a champ, you know, and I just undercut my own thing about the championship caliber player, but it's not like necessarily a number one type player, you know, uh, Boncaro. And also like it, his, the defense is more of the question mark for him. You know, it's been said that perhaps he's lacked a little bit of uh lacked a little bit of Tenacity and a a little bit of effort on that end. But there are guys like um, there are guys like uh, Anthony Edwards uh, very recently who, you know, that was said about and have kind of blossomed into above average defensive players early in their career. So, you know, we're picking nits here. Um, oh, and another – we're picking Knits here for the most part. Like, as I said, if I had been a Blazer fan and we had gotten the free, I would have been, like, so happy to take whoever fell to me, be it any of these guys, uh, that I don't care. But for the Magic specifically, it strikes me as a little bit odd, and it one and it makes me wonder if this is a team that, like, you know, is in a small market, has, like, a guy like Jonathan Isaac coming back, and is going a little bit more safe with the plug and play guy as opposed to going for the sort of more exciting high ceiling option. Because, sort of, an exercise I wanted to do was like this idea of like, and I think it's really, really fun with these three teams because they are going like, They are for the most part going to emerge with really fun cores. Like you look, and this kind of leads me to my anti-Smith at number one point. Also, like the Rockets, you're going to have this really cool Jalen Green, Boncaro, Shengun core, right? That's going to be offensively at the least really exciting. Defensively, (laughs) it's going to be a major question mark. But it's going to be really, really fun to watch those three guys play. In OKC, you're going to have the sort of SGA Giddy. Holmgren combo that will be really, really like those are all teams I'm really excited to watch on league pass, right? Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah, then you look at the magic and you're like, all right, Smith, you know, Isaac. Um, I have COVID brain. Who's the uh, I he literally just popped in my head. Who did they draft last year and why am I Jalen? Like, Walker. doesn't that, yeah, like, okay, does that. That's not quite, it's just does not quite as, it, it. it's okay, but it's not, like, really excite. Like, if I were a fan of the Magic, I'd kind of be looking at those other cores and being like, this doesn't really feel like as explosive as the other ones. And, you know, explosiveness is not the end-all be-all, but, you know, I'm not sure. It feels like you're already in something of a box. With with that starting core as compared to the other ones, so that's why were I you know Weltman at the at the top of of the draft order here, I'm not sure I would have really been so locked into Smith as they seem to be.
0: Yeah, and I I I see that point to it. I just am not maybe I just don't see it with Van Caro, and and not to say that he won't get there, but I don't. See necessarily him being like a 1A like a 1A yeah, or that's a very 1B possible. star I guess yeah, and,
1: that's and I think
0: and maybe, maybe I'm overrating what Smith can maybe potentially do on the court in terms of him and maybe I'm just overvaluing that shooting aspect and him shooting from three um, but like I guess like another point that I was kind of thinking of with Bancaro is like how, and and maybe he gets this chance, gets the chances like on these bad teams with like an OKC or with the Houston or with Orlando. But realistically, once he gets on like a good team, like a team that's going to be competing for the playoffs and playoff spots and, and for the finals, realistically, like how, I don't know if I see him with the ball in his hands all the time. That's yeah, that's, that's like my that's like my whole point as to like is he going to be really able to exploit all of his skill set because maybe there maybe he's not good enough to have that responsibility if that makes sense. Whereas I think Smith I could clearly see what Smith can do when he's on the court, whereas I think with Bancaro, like, he can do all the things that you were talking about and taking it, like, taking guys off the dribble, making making the mid-range shots and things like that. But is he going to be allowed to do that and be given that freedom when I'm not exactly sure he would be good enough to do those things, especially if he is going to be competing on like a team that's striving for playoff success.
2: Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. And I understand, I think you definitely are sort of, I think you're sort of getting at this. This is something we've always sort of talked about. Like our friend Chris Cardone always talks about kind of the winning, you know, like the valuing, the sort of winning mindset and stuff like that. And it seems like, you know, Smith has way less questions about sort of his, you know, the overall mindset and stuff like that. But I'm not, you know, I think it's like, and it also at the end of the day speaks to just the level of the draft as well. But, you know, cause you look at the player comps for all of these guys, it's like Boncaro, like Chris Weber, like better Julius Randall, like Smith, Har- taller Harrison Barnes, Michael Porter Jr. Like, it's not like any of these guys are like, you know what I mean? It's not like any of these guys are coming into the NBA with that complete package. You know, like Mm -hmm. of like, they're going to be able to make plays and score and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it just is kind of interesting. It seems like I have more of those qualms about Smith than you have more of those qualms about Bancaro, which is interesting. And, And, you know, yeah, yeah. go ahead.
0: No, and and the thing is, like, I don't, I don't, I don't go, I don't, I don't doubt Bancaro's mentality or anything like that. I just think, I just don't know if. he, like skill-wise in terms of like is he going to be good enough to do all the things that like sure a player does mid-range wise whereas like you need sure. guys to space out the floor like a Jabari Smith sure
1: very, that good, would point. Fit into very good point that I don't
0: like it'll be inter- like it'll be
2: really interesting but, to yeah. see
0: like what happens no that will so, be
2: that will be that will be interesting and like the one thing I would yeah, and I don't want to undercut my own point. Like the good thing about Boncara, if he goes to the Rockets, is like he doesn't necessarily have to do that. Like Jalen Green will still be the number one right. option on That's that true. team offensively, and you know we don't need to delve into questions about like him or what. Like none none of these teams are probably going to be good right away. So like these questions are are for are for down the line somewhat, but uh, it will be it will be certainly intriguing. I'm ex- I'm happy to kind of have that somewhat of a debate with you on that. Although, like, I want to be clear again, like, I'm not. The, the good thing is, like, I don't feel horribly, you know. Uh, you know, there aren't any guys where I'm like, why the hell are they up here, you know, something like right. that. Right, and I, yeah, all yeah. of them excite me. So let's move into let's do like five minutes on Holmgren because, as usual, we're we're running long because I do want to talk about like that four through eight kind of level, not necessarily in terms of prospect, but in terms of overall philosophy and eventually get to the Blazers. But like Holmgren was someone I was initially super duper excited about, like in my own personal, my rankings, I think like, as I was watching the NCAA tournament, I was like kind of putting him at one, but now like as I've read more about him and thought more about him conceptually, um, I've been I'm still excited, but I'm a little bit more, you know, not necessarily confused, but I've started to have questions that I, I think are, are sort of interesting. So I want to start with one with you. This question that Holmgren can be the anchor of a defense. Do you think that's true? Like, do you think that's true? Because it seems like the idea is that he's going to at the very least start in the NBA as a seven-one power forward who needs to play with another center, right? And that's not exactly the worst thing in the world. Like, as Zach Lowe pointed out on a podcast I was listening to today, like, the two bigs thing has kind of come back in vogue to some extent, um, so mm-hmm. long as that other big can stretch the floor. Like, think of a Brooke Lopez and Giannis on the Bucks, or think of, you know, as we saw in the finals, Al Horford and Robert Williams playing together. Like, that's not necessarily – that's not necessarily uh, having Chet Holmgren have to play, you know, a guy like Evan Mobley came into the league last year and, you know, showed an ability to kind of, you know, and showed like a an, an interesting and unconventional skill set at the big man position that didn't necessarily uh, involve him having to be like a super big guy playing the five all the time. But, you know, with, Chet holmgren's frame like he's uh to you know in in case i if you don't know who chad holmgren is i encourage you to look up a picture of chad holmgren right now
1: he's (laughs) seven feet and
2: 195 i mean he's kind of a he's really really tall and really really skinny so when you say he could be the anchor of a defense are you saying that with the idea that you know he could show this mobley-esque Switching versatility and his athleticism would be what allows him to do that. Are you or are you saying that with the idea that like eventually he will come into a kind of more muscular NBA body and eventually be able to kind of play the five and bang with like your Jonas Valanciunas's on on a night-to-night basis? I don't
0: ever foresee that for him. Like yeah. it just doesn't. Neither seem do like I. Yet so. it doesn't seem like he has the body type for that. Um, no, agreed. Just, like, I don't know. He doesn't seem like he has, like, wide shoulders or anything like no. that. Just the way he's shaped. But I could see him in, like, a roaming role like uh, a Mobley or someone like um, – and, like, this is, like, a weird comp, but someone like a Draymond in that, like, he roams a lot, like, and he could space out the floor <laughs> better. And, like – Yeah. Kind, and and he's nowhere near the playmaker that Draymond is or any of those things. But I think, just but he can, shoot. Of, <laughs> he
1: can yeah, shoot. He can shoot. Draymond, right.
0: So <laughs> yeah, he can shoot. Like he shot thirty nine percent from three in college. So like he can space out the floor enough for sure. And the fact that I think they were talking about like his defensive instincts. A lot of these draft write-ups things like that talked about defensive instincts that I think that kind of intrigues me in terms of him maybe shape um like anchoring that defense of like if they if they need to go like small ball five in a pinch like I think he he would maybe eventually grow into that and be able to do that and then even be versatile enough to play with that second big, like you were talking about. So that, I think that's what makes it interesting. I'm I'm not exactly sure what he would look like on switches though, as weird as that. Okay. So-, so
2: I, that was ex- you, That that is your old NBA scout instinct kicking in in an interesting way. Cause I was about to say, and I will say that this was com- ripped. Com- this thought was ripped completely. I was listening to Nate Duncan, talk to this guy, uh, his name's Keandre. He runs a a YouTube channel called, called Hoop Instinct or uh, I'm sorry Hoop Intellect which is I was watching some of his videos they're really great. I would encourage anyone who's interested in what we're talking about to check out his channel. He's kind of one of these like homegrown you know just random guys who decided he wanted to be a scout and became really good at it and he makes these videos you know that are that are really A lot of interesting comps and, you know, breakdowns of skills and whatnot. And a point they were making was like, he does not, as of right, like, he doesn't seem to, like, he's not coming in with the athletic profile. Like, they don't believe he can, like, they see him as a guy who, like, in late shot clock switches can do okay, but at least as Mm. of right now isn't a guy who's like is going to just be able to come in and be part of a switching defense immediately. Right now that's not like neither was, neither is Rob Williams though, to be clear. Yeah. You can do things like you can kind of utilize these pre switches and stuff like that. (laughs) You know, you can kind of switch, but not really, you can still have defensive versatility without having to, you know, be able to switch Agreed. on a point guard and hold your own all the time. Uh, Agreed. But, you know, the the thought at least initially is that, you know, like he's not going to be able to come in the league and be able to, you know, function really well on these switches right away, which is fine. Like most NBA players don't come into the league operating on a very high level defensively anyway, you know. Uh, so But, you know, what I, I, I don't know, just without being like too cliche, like, I just think as I've wa- thought about him more and more, like I am sort of concerned, like his ability to hold up will just be what sets him, you know, what I think sets him apart and that he has this very weird body, right? He moves fucking watch him run up and down the court. He like, you know what I mean? He's athletic, but he kind of lumbers. He kind of moves weird. He's looks like he's going to snap in half every time, you know, he's defending at the rim. Uh, and I'm a little bit scared by that, like this is a very interesting physical prospect coming in coming into the n b a and time that happens like call me um call me a little bit uh what's it called uh, not short sighted but uh whatever the word, the phrase is for weighting the recent, recency bias but like mm-hmm. i even though he's a different physical prospect, like I think about Zion Williamson and like you know his ability to like his ability for this unique body type to hold up over the course of NBA seasons thus far, which hasn't really been great. And that frightens me a little bit, but you know, I sort of put it aside because I do agree with you for the most part that like the, the thought of what he is probably like the most tantalizing prospect just in terms of what he can be just because his skill set's so unique. Like you said, like we haven't, he has this sort of like Mobley esque ability to sort of, Play make at a very high level, uh, you know, for a pers- for a guy of his size, um, like with his perimeter skill set, and that seven one, you know, length combined with athleticism is super duper exciting. When you consider mm-hmm. the defensive potential, as you said, so, you know, I don't have like some great thought about where his NBA career will go, but like as I've sort of alluded to, like this idea of the him Giddy SGA or like playing next to a guy like Gilgis Alexander who already possesses such a long wingspan and a, and a pretty good defensive intellect, you know, and giddy with his wingspan as well. Like that's going to be a really, really fu- like that, that just the athleticism and length of that team is going to be fascinating to watch as our friend Sam Presty sort of continues his long experiment with the OKC team. All right. So anything else to put on that? Like I'm pretty happy with our, you know, armchair draft analysis and in 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 the respect of the top three guys that actually got deeper than I was thinking but I kind of if, if you're good to move on I kind of just wanted to pose this question to you like we're not going to go prospect by prospect but I did want to like in a more broad sense ask you this question of like as we get past these top three guys into like into teams like you know At number four, you have the Kings, then you have the Pistons, and then you just get into this interesting spot where you have the Pacers, the Blazers, and the Pelicans, and then the Spurs, and the Wizards picking back to back to back to back. These are all teams that have varying levels of, you know, They have good players on their team now. Let's at least put it that way. And I wouldn't say the Spurs necessarily have aspirations to come back to the playoffs, but they have different avenues they can take. Like if you're a GM for one of these teams, how much are you looking at? Like, how are you waiting? And I know the answer with the idea, obviously the answer depends on like, what am I getting? Like, how are you waiting the moving, the pick towards picking dichotomy and like, You know, are there I guess if there are prospects you're more excited about picking than others that could factor in as well. Like just with that sort of framework, how what do you think about that next stretch of the draft and what do you foresee happening tomorrow night? Yeah, I I think it's
0: I think there's gonna be a good amount of movement, honestly. Yeah, it's gonna be really exciting. Yeah, and I think that's the because I think those teams and especially Portland and not to not I'm not saying that because it's like team, <laughs> yeah we're but,
2: gonna go there eventually so I don't, I don't right care. right
0: but like especially a team like Portland who basically was a playoff team then had a really just like kind of like a down year and basically decided to like hit reset and wants to get back to the playoffs because of Dame being still there like I'm just curious to see what they do whether or not they keep the pick or whether or not they decide to trade. It seems like to me like like Sacramento's even like even talking about trading for more of a more established guy and trying to entice people with the number four pick. To me, like Indiana seems like they're gonna stay. Like I can't imma- like I can't
2: imagine them trying to expedite the
0: process.
2: Yeah, Um, like I don't like, yeah, when I was hearing kind of not to break in, but like when I was hearing the talks on Lowe's podcast today of like what the Kings could possibly do is like, would you, would you trade if like the Pacers, would the Pacers trade like their pick and a guy like Chris Duarte to move up or like, you know, that like, would you do Collins and, you know, 16 and like another player for, for four or something like that? most of these deals feel pretty meh. And that's something we'll get into when we talk about kind of my view on the Blazers as well. But, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I just wanted to
2: mention that. It doesn't feel like like, it's kind of interesting. The point I'm trying to get at is there's this simultaneous idea that there could be a lot of movement, but then when you start to kind of dig down and what those deals could look like, it gets the, the sort of opportunities seem more and more narrow.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what I was going to get into in terms of like, do you really want John Collins for like whatever that your that trade package is gonna get, like, or or is someone like Chris Duarte and Indiana's pick enough to like move up and and that's just like the balance of like whether or not you think Jaden Ivy is gonna be this like Donovan Mitchell type of player that's kind of been thrown out there in terms of comp, I would say like this old, like pretty athletic dude that can like handle the ball a little bit and be this combo guard. I I, like, I I wonder like what people, what people think about his potential ceiling. And some people have kind of even lumped him with like the top three and, and being like a top three and then him being like maybe a half, half step below them and then the rest of the draft, basically, or, like, the rest of the, the lottery guys.
2: So Sure, I, there I was – yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So go I, ahead, I, I go do ahead.
0: Wonder, I, no, I do wonder what people think about Jaden Ivy. What were you going to say?
2: Yeah, no, I do too, and, you know, he seems like an intre- – you know, I don't know. He seems like an interesting prospect in the sense that, like, he really showed a lot of growth last year, but, like, he's another sort of player that you look at with this idea of, like, But what's his ceiling actually, Uh, you know, let's just go into the blazer talk because it, I think it will let us hit on a bunch of different things sort of. And you know, what I agree. We'll be able to work out a lot of these thoughts in a short period of time. Yeah. So like, all right. So, you know, okay. So it seems as if Ivy's definitely going to go number four, you know, accepting some sort of blockbuster deal that happens on the night surprise, and so, you know, whatever. Maybe there's another like a Shade and Sharp or someone that someone's really enam- enamored with. It seems as if the top. Apparently, this guy Ben Matherin from Arizona is now looking very, very likely at number five uh, or number mm-hmm. six. Um, you know, although maybe the Pistons move, you, you could see some sort of, you could see some sort of potential block, like would the Suns trade for five and a side and trade with the Pistons, like, and some other stuff who, who knows, you know, that stuff's interesting. But like, the point I'm trying to make is like with Matherin seeming like he'll definitely go before six, I'm starting to get really excited. Like most mock drafts now have, you know, mock drafts kind of have a mix. The next three guys. Let me just get to it. The next three guys are seem to be at this point. Murray, the power forward. Is what's his first name? Keegan. Yep. Keegan Murray. Keegan yep. Murray. Yeah. The the forward from Iowa. Uh, Shaden Sharp, the uh, guard. You know, the wing from quote unquote Kentucky, who didn't actually play at Kentucky. And this guy, Dyson Daniels, this Australian prep four, basically who three, four, who played in the G league. I'm starting to get really, really excited about the prospect of any one of those three players um, Mm -hmm. to the point where I kind of (laughs) want them to make the pick unless they get blown away. As time has gone on, like we talked last time about these guys, like Jabari, uh, Jabari Grant and, uh, and Collins, like, and I was listening to Lowe and Javoni talk about this today. It's like, I don't want to do Collins for seven straight up. Collins in 16 is better, but like, nah. Doesn't right? move the like, needle as much. Grant, yeah. Grant. at this point, I would not just do Grant for seven straight up, especially after hearing Lowe and Javoni kind of opine on his value. Ananobi's the one who's kind of, actually does legitimately excite me because Ananobi's 24 and would be Mm. the best wing Damian Lillard's ever played with by far. Like I was just doing this exercise today where like, if you were to like kind of plug these guys into a roster on the Blazers, like assuming they did literally nothing else, like let's assume the starters going to be like Dame, Josh Hart, uh, I'm assuming that Simons comes back, but, like, as a super sub at this point. Like, who's – let's not go. There'll be time to discuss that kind of stuff, but let's assume that. Dame, Hart, like, a Justice Winslow or Nasir Little type, blank, Yusuf Nurkic. If Ananobi's in that slot, I'm starting to get a little bit excited. Like, I'm feeling like that is a, is a mm-hmm. lineup that could make the playoffs. Grant in that spot. It's like, all right. Collins in that spot. It's like, all right. You know what I mean? Like they, they're not, when those trades happen, assuming you were giving seven for them straight up or like even getting a marginal thing back, you're really got like, you're starting to really go like, is this what we, we blew up the team for, you know, and this is the great reset that's going to keep Dame happy. Uh, and, you know, mm. maybe something could come along, maybe like a fucking, maybe Bradley Beal, uh, not that I, I don't want to go to not that Bradley Beal would even necessarily make me super happy, but maybe there is some other deal that could come along of of course. Damian Lillard was like present at all of these workouts. Uh, at, you know, he was apparently attending a lot of these workouts. He seems to be still some kind of on board with the, with the, um, with the note, like, with the overall direction of this team, even if they make the, you know, there's been reporting that he wants them to make a move, but he's showing up these workouts, which makes it seem like he's at least invested in the idea of them making a pick. And, you know, like, I look at these players, like these players and I like both their ability to, especially in the, in the, um in the, in the case of Murray, I really like his, the idea that he could just come in and be a pretty good, scoring wing immediately with this team. Like he seems like that offensive four that. They've never really had, you know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. And then when you look at these guys like sharp and Daniels, like sharp, like just to be, you know, to keep it concise. So we don't go too much more over because as usual, we're over an hour and a half already. Um, Like sharp has this very, like they're both high ceiling guys. Sharp has this incredible offensive potential and, Daniels is like this, like, uh, you know, his comps are kind of like better, uh, better, um, Kyle Anderson, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of who else the comps are, but he's coming in with this like incredible defensive, this incredible defensive versatility already, which would obviously fit really well with Dame. But like the thing about Sharp and Murray is like, I think you get this double-edged idea of like, they could possibly come in, help, and possibly boss, you know, they're a potential ticket, even though they're not on Dane's timeline to an actually really, really good player. And you know what, like if Dane, if the Dane thing doesn't work out, if, you know, things go awry with game and you end up, you know, he's facing down, we're facing down this massive contract extension for him. If things go sideways and it's time to, you know, sadly part ways, You kind of at least have something to rebuild around, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of landed in this idea, like especially as these three prospects face me now. Like I know we've talked about AJ Griffin in the past, but it seems you know without I don't know enough about him to give him a big. It seemed like he'd be a good come in with now player for them, but it does seem like he settled more into that like nine through twelve range of the draft where they're less likely to pick him, but, and who knows, the funny thing about this is going to be when they make the pick and it's like, you know, I'm going to scroll down and it's like, you know, Jeremy Sohan and like, I have to talk myself into that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. <laughs> that's going to be really the, the the punchline of this whole convoluted segment we're doing right now. But, but the point I'm making is like these prospects are kind of exciting enough to me and maybe I just have Stockholm syndrome to the point where, like, I'm not just moving this pick just to move it. Is is the point I'm making? I really want this pick to provide me with a blueprint to making the playoffs next year, or I just want to make the pick, and we'll see what happens. And you know what I mean? That that's kind yeah. of where I've landed. How do you how do you feel about that thought process? I think you're I think you're right on with
0: it. I I mean I think Ananobi would probably be 1A for me if i if i had yeah. to choose it, but i don't know if that trade's available like it feels yeah, like Yeah, no it's me, probably
2: not. It's probably it not. Feel, yeah.
0: It feels like to me like you were saying and you mentioned this like before in conversation like like the blazers played it seems like floated that out and i don't know sure. why i don't know why toronto would do the deal like Yeah,
1: what, I, at, yeah. at
2: 7 for toronto what would they get as yes. number what seven is it that, what are you getting that's better than ananobi now is what is the question right
0: right and it's right. The answer like
2: is probably not nothing
0: yeah i don't know
2: why they would do it the, yeah the, like, the, what's the, the only reason yeah the only reason they do it and i'll <laughs> stop interrupting you like you can just the, the mm-hmm. way it kind of was pitched was this idea of like they have Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam already, and maybe Ananobi is like a little bit discontent and maybe clamoring for a bigger role, and that would be it. So you'd move him to kind of clear house. You know exactly who your guys are, and you can – and, you know, the 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 rappers love to draft. You know what I mean? They've been really, really good with these picks, and you let, you know, Masai Ujiri do his thing. So, you know, that's not that compelling of an argument, but that's, that is what the case is. Yeah, I think that's
0: definitely like I think just like looking at the blueprint of the the NBA of wings being super valuable nowadays that can defend yep. two threes and all that stuff like that's what you would have in an Siakam and Yeah. Scotty Barnes like and and sure. like we saw in the finals like someone like not that they're on the level of Tatum or Brown like I don't think any of them are. Maybe I mean Siakam and Brown might be like kind of like on the same level, but yeah, I I don't know like like Boston wanted a third wing and you have three wings right there that can kind of be almost interchangeable with each other. That (laughs) I just don't know why Ananobi would be given up for a number seven pick. That yeah might possibly turn into Ananobi in five years, if that makes sense. Sure. Or four yeah. years. So like if the Blazers had to proceed with this pick, the, you know, the three names that you threw out there, Murray, uh, Dyson, Daniels, and, um, Shade and uh, Sharp. Shaden Sharp, Sh- like, yeah, those three guys are really like, it'll be interesting to see like who they decide to roll with. Um, because, like those three guys have three different things that they they really specialize in and kind of come in different body types and like it seems like Daniels is more of like a defensive d- defensive prowess type of guy that'll be pretty nice next to dame as like a wing defender um someone like uh, Sharp has this unknown potential offensively and then Murray is that guy that is kind of like this plug-and-play type of guy that could kind of come in and be you know score 15-ish points a game yeah and and I think like like when we first talked about it when the Pelican like the Pelicans uh picked and conveyed to the um to the Blazers after they made the playoffs like we kind of talked about I think we might have touched upon it a little bit about, like, oh, someone like Keegan Murray could be, like, this, like, potential guy that's this three-slash-four that would perfectly fit next to maybe Nurkic and Nasir Little. And maybe that's, like, the avenue that they go down. So, like, I, I think I'm kind of, like, in that same bandwagon with you of, like, Make the pick. If they're not gonna make the pick, they better be getting someone like Ananobi, and then yep. like,
2: and or at and the very the- least a good player, and uh, two other things that you know you can use to either improve or you know keep for whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's just like it
0: freaking sucks because like if they if they had that Pelicans pick, I know number eight right now. They yeah. just siphon off one of those picks for like I know. right now. Andanobi or like Jeremy, like it would be more palatable to be like yeah, right, correct. Give me Jeremy, correct. Give me Jeremy Grant for number seven yeah. or number eight, yeah. and then number eight I make one like choose one of these guys.
2: It's like, very much. And, it's very yeah. I've been lamenting yeah. that a lot, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I've been lament, but I just wanted to get in this thought. It just sucks because the 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 the, the tragedy of the 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 Pelicans pick not conveying was just like the optionality. Like you said, if that pick had conveyed that I could be talking to you right now about like, would you take trade game for a top three pick and other stuff? And like, you can just rebuild all in one draft. Like, whereas now they kind of have this one thing and you know, if they don't do something good with the one thing, they're kind of fucked, which is why I think I've settled on this more sunk cost mentality of like don't worry about making turning the seven pick into, you know, something to, to make the, you know, to make the team better in the short term, just use it for what it is in this overall landscape of the team. And you know, what comes next is what comes next.
0: Yeah. And that's what makes it hard because it's not like you can have it all. It's just one or the other. Yeah, And that's what, that's the difficult aspect to the, to this like exercise of it all. So like, Gun to your head, Andrew, like, before we close out the podcast, because we're going close to two hours now, which is very (laughs) typical of us. Gun to your head, who are you taking, and, like, what's your reasoning behind that?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, like, does that – kind of hypothetical I was, I was posing. It was the, the one wrinkle in that hypothetical is like, I was saying those three guys, but the Pacers pick above them and would probably pick one of those three. I think it's thought that they'd take Murray or maybe Daniels. Um, but mm-hmm. assuming those three are available, I think I'd rank them Murray sharp Daniels. I think I Hmm. prefer Murray for, I still, I don't think Sharp's ceiling is so incredibly high that Murray's plug and play ability, I put him above Murray's plug and play ability. And I'd still like to see the team give it one more go around Dame. Uh, But given that after that, I think Sharp would be a really tantalizing, you know, he'd be a really tantalizing prospect and, the Blazers have done a good job with those tantalizing prospects in the in the past, you know. Like they've done better when they've gone for the Anthony Simonses over the, mm-hmm. you know, Myers Leonards or whatever, or the Zach Collinses in the past. Uh so so that would that would at least give me something to be excited about. But I'd be perfectly fine with Daniels as well. So I'd rank the Murray Murray Sharp Daniels.
0: So with that, it's going to be welcome to the Blazers, Jalen Duran, Mark Williams, or one yes. of the uh, correct one of the the people that we have not.
2: I will. I'm sure tonight. I will be texting you with a plum on on Thursday. You know, I'm really really excited for the draft, and we'll be even outside of the Blazers thing. We'll be watching it, you know, top to bottom with with excitement. And I'm Agreed. sure eventually, as we get into free agency. We will be talking about all of this for two hours plus again. Agreed.
0: So, Andrew, thanks for coming back on. I'm sure we're going to – I mean, basketball is going to slow down post-draft in pre-agency. But, like, I'm sure I'll have you back on. We'll talk about, like, some random summer things that are going on. I know Andrew's a big movie buff, big music guy. So, like, talk about movies of the summer. Talk about certain albums that come out. So, like – I don't know, Drake's come out with an album, like, sure. album, which getting, I don't know if, I don't know if you've liked it. You but. don't
2: want to get into that conversation. We'll save that. We'll save that for a few. So minutes.
0: we're, we're, we're saving positive. that. We'll save, like, I, I want to get all his takes on summer movies like uh, Top Gun Maverick, all those things. So uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll have you back on to talk about, very uh very a lot of things that are not very related to the MBA. So, Andrew, thanks for coming back on. Um, and we have finally finished this marathon of a podcast.
2: Okay, buddy. Any as long as I'm doing it with you anytime.